Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, tech proposes its own privacy regulations and the biggest name staying completely silent on the situation in Saudi Arabia. But first, Washington. No, not the city, but the state where voters next week will decide whether or not to impose a fee on carbon emissions. Now, if approved, this would be the first time ever that voters in any state have effectively passed a carbon price, which many argue is an essential first step towards seriously addressing climate change. It's supported by all sorts of environmental interest groups, local billionaire Bill Gates, and Washington Governor Jay Inslee, who some view as a possible 2020 presidential candidate, and if it passes, this could become part of his campaign. On the other side... Some very, very big oil interests, as Washington is America's fifth largest refining state. And there's also at least a tacit assumption that President Trump would oppose the move based on some campaign statements and his pulling the U.S. out of the Paris Climate Accord. But he hasn't explicitly chimed in. The bottom line here is this proposal will be a litmus test. If it becomes law, expect other blue states to try following, as this effort has bedeviled progressives for over a decade. But if it fails particularly in a place like Washington, then it may be time for environmentalists to give up the ghost, no matter how much sense they believe it makes. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on this with Axios Energy reporter Amy Harder. But first, this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. We're joined now by Axios Energy reporter Amy Harder. So, Amy, let's start big picture here. What is the argument for having a carbon price, whether in Washington or anywhere? The main argument is that the reason why fossil fuels, oil, natural gas, and coal remain oftentimes cheaper than renewables is because the environmental impact of those fossil fuels are not priced into what people pay for them. So people say a price on the carbon emissions that come from these fossil fuels need to be sort of externalized and be part of the price. And so that's the primary reason why economists, for example, are pushing this as the primary solution to climate change, although not the only one. Okay, and so this particular one in Washington is is interesting, right? Because this isn't the first time they've had one of these proposals, although each one's a little different. And with this one specifically, correct me if I'm wrong, the money raised from it, if it were to pass, a lot of that's to go to clean energy initiatives, correct? Correct. What to do with the money raised from a carbon tax is one of the biggest question marks facing any policy, whether it's the carbon tax at the federal level or in this case, one at the state level. Now, the backers of the Washington policy like to insist that it's technically a fee, which is correct. Of course, it has the same... But a fee and a tax are ultimately the same for an end user, right? Correct. Correct. It still has the same impact on consumers, which is arguably one of the most important parts. So the policy in this instance the money would be turned back and used for climate change and clean energy purposes, which is a key difference from previous proposals in Washington and elsewhere, where the revenue would be used to lower other taxes, which is considered more conservative. So this year's proposal is considered more progressive. It's getting more support from environmental groups, for instance, because they like the way the money is being used. Correct me if I'm wrong. So it's really to raise revenue rather than reduce the use of fossil fuels or reduce carbon emissions. Well, that's a great question, because I think 
think it depends on who you ask. I think one of the criticisms of this policy is that the carbon price is so low that it actually doesn't change consumer behavior. And the governor of Washington, Governor Inslee, a Democrat who has eyes on a 2020 run for the White House, he admitted that the price is so low that it won't change consumer behavior. So it's really depending on sort of what perspective you want to take. Do you think it's better to have a low price to then put in the money in ways that would then lower emissions? Or do you think you need to have a high enough price that it makes consumers change behavior? And I think that's a more conservative take. Is this going to pass? I think it has a better chance of passing than the proposal two years ago because it has a broader coalition of support. I describe it in my latest Harder Line column that the political landscape is ripe for it to pass this time. But it's up against a lot of opposition, $20 million plus from oil groups. The Seattle Times, the biggest newspaper in Washington, just opposed it over the weekend. So, you know, I think it's going to be very tight. The polling shows it right around 50 percent. So I really think it's going to be a nail by. I'll ask you on both sides. If it were to pass, will other states then look, particularly other blue states, other progressive states, look at what happened in Washington and say, okay, that passed. That's the blueprint for us to do it here. I think it will be a blueprint for other blue states. (laughs) I think ever since the failure two years ago, there hasn't been as much action at the ballot box for initiatives like this. But I do think that if this passes, it will, number one, it'll galvanize and sort of reinvigorate liberal leaders who are just otherwise pretty despondent over President Trump's anti-climate rhetoric. But also, I think it will show them that this is how you have to get it done in progressive states. Is there a wide enough, broad enough consensus, not just among left-leaning Democrats, but among Democrats in general, that a carbon tax is a good idea at a federal level? And I guess I'm asking in the context of if there happened to be a Democratic president in 2020 and they held the House or held Congress, is this something you could actually envision on a federal level or is that still a bridge too far, politically speaking? I'm pretty skeptical that this type of plan would get too far at the federal level. The federal policy landscape is just more conservative than Washington state. And, you know, there is sort of a growing effort here in Washington to push a carbon tax. And and it's more conservative than the one that Washington state is considering. And I think given the prevalence of coal and other fossil fuels across the U.S. and the influence of the fossil fuel industry, I tend to think you will have to go through the fossil fuel industry rather than around them to get any sort of federal carbon tax policy. Amy, finally, it's interesting. You've talked about kind of all the oil interests which are opposing this, which makes all sorts of sense. But one, you also reported that Shell, which is one of the biggest oil companies in the world, if not in the U.S., is sitting this one out. Why are they not involved? It's really a window into the changing dynamics within the biggest oil and gas companies in the world. Shell's CEO, Ben Van Bearden, who I've, I've talked to a few times on this issue this year, is getting increasingly concerned and vocal about climate change. And so he's told me that while they don't like this proposal, in fact, he said it wouldn't win any beauty contests. He says they're not fighting it because he doesn't think that would be right from his company's perspective. Now, the cynics would say, well, that's you should really support the policy if you really think a carbon price is important. But nonetheless, it shows the slow-moving evolution among oil companies. ExxonMobil, just a few weeks ago, put $1 million into a federal carbon tax push. Now, $1 million isn't that much to ExxonMobil, but it is about, I think, 4% of their annual lobbying expenditures, which is not nothing for just one bill that, in fact, doesn't even exist yet. It's, 
it's still just a blueprint. So you're seeing this shift happen very slowly. And when you see ballot measures like this one in Washington state, you see them being tested on their rhetoric. And I think that's one reason why we're seeing Shell sitting it out. Thank you very much to Amy Harder, energy reporter for Axios. My final two right after this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique Smart Brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up, a tech lobbying organization called ITI, whose members include such huge companies as Google and Facebook, today proposed their own privacy regulations, which includes guidance on how much tech companies should manage privacy risks and allow data portability or moving data from one platform to another. It also emphasizes how tech companies should anonymize data rather than keeping it explicitly tied to me or to you or to anyone else. Why it matters is the tech industry is trying to have a say in the data privacy regulation that is almost certainly coming on a national level. It was behind the eight ball in places like Europe and California, but appears better prepared to participate this time around. And finally, last week we discussed how all sorts of big business CEOs and others had pulled out of a massive investment conference scheduled for this week in Saudi Arabia. But one name remains conspicuously absent from the withdrawals. Masayoshi Sun, known in tech circles simply as Masa, who runs SoftBank, a Japanese investment giant that operates a $100 billion investment fund, including $45 billion from the Saudis. Now, SoftBank has used this money to invest in tons of big U.S. tech companies, including names like Uber and WeWork. Plus, it's a huge partner to General Motors in its self-driving efforts. As of late Sunday night, SoftBank was still mum, perhaps just continuing to hope the Saudis will cancel the conference. And maybe that's possible, as of last check this morning, the website had just gone offline. But for a firm like SoftBank, which is known for its risk-taking, this has been a pretty tepid and arguably cowardly week and a half. And we're done. Thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Adam Gracia, have a great National Nut Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.